Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So today, another unusual event in the life of podcast land for us, because very rarely are we uh, blessed and um, excited to have someone back for a second time? In fact, it's only happened twice before. And Dr. Christine Adams was with us once before and actually had a fantastic podcast episode. And she was so brilliant. Um, we knew she was doing some work uh, with resilience and children. And we thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to get her back and help us all in these very strange times understand sort of effects and things that children could be getting up to to really help with their mental wealth and emotional mental health and emotional well-being and such like so good afternoon dr christine how are you good afternoon dr thackeray i am well thank you good 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 and your beautiful american accent heralds the fact that you're somewhere exotic and exciting yes i'm in the uh northernmost southern state of kentucky where we have horses and bourbon. Right. Do, do those two things come together at any stage? Yes. In the Derby. The Derby. Derby. Yeah, the exactly. Derby. 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 <laughs> Even I've heard of the Kentucky Derby. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming back. And tell us, tell us what we'll tell us what you're going to be um, discussing today. I'm going to be talking about seven good things children can learn from quarantine. Okay. during lockdown that we've had across the world. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because even that phrase um, is interesting, isn't it? Because there are some people in the world who can only see the negative from this process and don't realize there is a, there is a potential upside. Yes. So that's, that's a very encouraging thing. Okay, then. So should we just work through them from, from start to finish? But let's, let's start by maybe thinking a little bit about what are the risks, just to cover the other side of it off. What are the potential risks for kids in quarantine? Well, a lot of the things that are talked about in the media are the anxieties, depressions, the loneliness, the not being able to play with playmates that children are experiencing. Um, but I think we have to remember that as parents, some of our children are going to mimic our reactions. So yeah. if we're not paying attention to our good emotional health during these times, then some of our children are gonna suffer. So if we're anxious, depressed, feeling overly lonely, they're gonna pick up on it. So these are seven skills and mindsets that children can grasp 
during this period when they're constrained in their families and in the four walls of their house mostly. And, um, and, and would it be fair to say that these seven things, and they're all extraordinarily pra practical and pragmatic, uh, they're, they actually need a parent who's going to be engaged enough to make these things happen. It's not going to happen by accident, is it? If, you, if you're a poor parent normally and you've been a poor parent during lockdown or quarantine, it's unlike, and this, these, these are the things potentially a child could be missing out on. Is yeah, of course, if you're all in the same house, parents are going to be with you. So these yeah. are things that uh, parents can help their children and be on the lookout for Brilliant. to make sure that they get, that they acquire these skills. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's, let's dive into this list. I do like <laughs> a list. Okay, well, I just right. want to say that Go on, yeah. we've got to remember hardship builds resilience. Correct. So yeah, anytime in life you're hitting a brick wall, something is blocking you from accomplishing what you want to do, from being able to pursue something, you've got to think, okay, how can I get around this obstacle? Yeah. And when you think that, you think, well, I have to think outside the box. I have to come up with new things. Great. Now, if as a child you have had some experiences where you've had to come up with something new, like in the coronavirus lockdown, then you're going to build your own resilience so that later on in adult life, you can look back and say, oh, I remember when we were all locked down in the family and I learned how to do X or Y Yes. And now here I am an adult and I'm in a situation and I can remember that and apply that to the situation now. Yes. Yes. So the first, the first thing is you can help your children explore how to be patient. Right. Now you have to remember that children don't really learn a concept of time until they're about 10. So you can link the child's own experiences with waiting things out. You can say to them, well, remember how long it took for you to heal your broken arm or how long it takes every year to get to your birthday? Well, coronavirus may take that long or may not take that long, but you're planting the idea that you waited it out then and you can wait it out now. Yeah. So you're putting a resilient idea into their head. And in a sense, that's a, that's a form of self-control, isn't it? It's, it's, you're now controlling your reaction to the event around you. Well, it's, um, I think it's, you can still have all the emotional responses that you want to have about this frustration, anger, anxiety, tears, but you can actually endure yeah. regardless of what your emotions are. You can actually endure. Don't squelch your emotions, have them, yeah. but Time-wise, you can see it through. Very good. The second thing is uh, learning to schedule and organize. Everybody's together in the same house. You've got homeschooling necessary. You've got parents working. You've got the same space. You've got different schedules. So you have to discover how to negotiate and prioritize. Yeah. You know, who needs this space at what time? what person can then use the space at a different time, things like that. Yeah. Um, you can also teach your kids, here's how the household works. Here's the chores necessary to run the household. Here's chores you can do. 
go clean the toilets. I'll show you how once, then you do it from there on after. Yeah. And kids can also learn how to be quiet while the parents are working. Yeah. That the parents' jobs are the priority. Their schoolwork is second. So how to facilitate the parents getting their job done. Right. The third thing is this can all boost creativity. Mm. Uh, kids learn how to fight boredom. They learn how to make use of their free time. Um, if parents will say to them, you go figure out what to do. Yes. You're bored. You go take care of it. Yeah. This helps with thinking outside the box when confined, bored, or deciding future school projects. Yes. So it builds sort of a creativity into into kids. So 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 here's a thought. One of the things that um, I remember my mother saying to me was that um, boredom's a state of mind. It's actually just a period of time between one event and another. Why don't you just go and use your imagination? Because if you if you learn so learning to read, learning to play, learning to you know, imagine whatever it might be. I, I mean, I used to, I was one of those kids that it's never allowed now, but I was, you know, on my own for a vast proportion of the day at a very early age because my parents both worked and I was on my own and I had to, and I was an only child, no brothers and sisters. So I had to learn to build imagination. And I think being bored is actually a very constructive state as long as you then, as you say, turn it into, you know, build this imagination phrase up. So in other words, I think part of the problem here is that we rely so much on tools and machinery, don't we? We've lost that ability to, to play and create and to think. And, you know, you know, even the Lego you get now is Barbie's whole castle or the Harry Potter set. You don't just get a pile of bricks and say, make something. So I like this idea. I think it's, I think it's a useful, I think it's a really useful skill in fact. Yeah, I think, I think it's, I agree with everything you said. And I think that um, often children think boredom will kill them. Mm. And it really won't. And parents and think that. Parents, parents, think that parents think that boredom will kill their kids. That's the thing and I find so weird. Parents think that because yeah. so much of childhood is in organized activities today. Yes. Yeah. Whereas in you know, decades ago, it was not. Yes. So... Um, but then, in a, but in a funny sort of way, what's also happened in our society, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, it's just a factual observation and a sense or an empirical observation, which is uh, when I was a youngster, a youngster, my place was to be in the group. I was an only child, so I was allowed to talk to adults all the time. But I, I had my place. Now when you see a child in a group of adverts, adverts, adults all together, what you see is the child at the centre and everyone's staring adoringly at the child, and the child now consumes everyone's focus. So they've, they've assumed this level of power and status, which actually isn't really that help, help, you know, that useful for them because they can begin to need that a bit too much. What, what do you think yeah, about that? I agree. I agree with you. Yeah, we have a lot of very self-centered children who are catered to, and so they have they have no way to create imagination with how to entertain themselves or pursue yes. things that they might be interested in. Yes. Interesting. But I mean, I love the next one because uh, as a person that was young and uh, sensitive and stayed indoors all the time, I know what your next one's going to be. So oh. what comes next? Yeah, it's getting outdoors. Yeah. Um, children can experience the joy of bodily movement and yeah. how this refreshes you mentally and physically. Um, especially being trapped in the house. 
the joy of getting outside is very liberating. Yeah. And uh, it also helps them with their boredom and it helps them with their creativity because yeah. they can think, okay, I'm going to go, you know, swing on the tree or build mud pies or turn on the sprinkler or, you know, just yeah. something creative outside. And isn't that funny how, again, our societies have become this, this idea that children, children, again, because at the center of everything, they have to be so well behaved. And, the, you know, when I was a kid, as a teenager, we used to hang around the street corners and talk and we were per perfectly oblivious to every other adult in the world. But of course, what you have now is you have a group of teenagers chatting and standing around. We see them as some sort of Facebook threat and everybody's online going, what's this bunch of teenagers doing? And yet we used to do that ourselves. It's totally normal to go outside and, you know, teenagers aren't interested in anyone but themselves, are they? So going outside... Yeah. Being, you know, being a little bit naughty, so what? You know, it's part of growing up, isn't it? It's, and it's okay to tell people off, isn't it? But my goodness, oh, someone yeah. else tells your child off. That's, that's terrible, whatever they're doing. <laughs> I, agree. <laughs> so, I agree. You know, de dealing with the outside world is, is a critical skill, isn't it? Because actually it's learning about risk and such like. And, um, and you don't have to have a big yard yourself no, for the kids no. to go out in. You can take them to the back alley for half yeah. an hour a day. You can take them to a park where there aren't a lot of people around. Yeah. Uh, just anywhere where they have outside air. Yeah. Can yeah. be even, go, even just going for a walk. I mean, there's no, right. no harm in that. And then running back as a force. I mean, you know, especially small boys. They're like small dogs, aren't they? They just like to run around and become right. aeroplanes or whatever it is to do. So that's, I, I think Girls that's... like that too. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I can't speak from experience on that one, but I can on the other one. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. That's it. I love that one. So what comes next? And next is how learning how to disconnect work from play. Right. Um, you can help your children design what I call zones in the house, a place to keep your schoolwork, a place that you play and keep them separate. Uh, sometimes it can be separate rooms. Sometimes it can be a bedroom corner that you designate for schoolwork. Uh, it can be a simple lap desk in the living room that yeah. you write on for your schoolwork. It can be a drawer in the bureau or the dresser where you keep your work. This helps teach, there are two mindsets. There's one for play and there's mm. one for work. Mm. And as an adult, this comes in very valuable if you're ever working from home. Yeah you can achieve work-life balance by recalling this time during lockdown and you think, oh, okay, I have to have a place, a distinct physical place for work that is segregated from where I relax. Yes. And it, that, that's very interesting. I could see some people having issues with that one, but um, so let me, con let me uh, just to ask a question then. So some people would say, don't we want to bring meld those two words to get worlds together because actually we want to bring a more creativity and imagination into our working spaces you, you see what i mean and actually be more focused on our play so it's is there a is there like a more of a venn diagram there that says you know there's work and there's play and then there's the bit where it comes together no i'm well, open I to be educated otherwise yeah, I, I just wondered for, i think for children um having a designated place to do schoolwork is very helpful to get them to focus on yeah. work. Yeah. And then in play, it should be more free form, yes. I think, not mm -hmm. as structured. 
Okay, that uh, makes sense. Yeah. And I think this helps them. Again, I'm talking about children. Yeah. And the idea, you know, a lot of people who work from home talk about the difficulties of always feeling like they're at work. Yes. They have a study and it's where they work and it's where they make personal phone calls and it's where they read for pleasure and things. And they talk about checking emails 24 hours a day yeah. and they can't get away from it. So yeah. this helps people, I think, segregate. So it's um, creating an early sort of good habit in a way. Yeah, it's a habit. It's a mindset. Yeah, yeah. good. Like it. Okay, what's the um, next one? The next one is learning how to share more because people in, in the family are jockeying for physical areas to work or play and decisions that as to how and by whom time and areas will be used. Um, this involves a lot more sharing and negotiating, you know, who's going to work where and when, who has priority, who's at the bottom of the totem pole, who's second, so this prepares you for living in close quarters with others when you become an adult, dormitories, apartments, and in marriage. Yes. You know, you have to share space and time. Is there, so I is, think, is there a sort of um, a risk with this one that you would get like a Lord of the Flies effect where you actually reinforce the dominance of the alpha child and the, the submissiveness of other children? Or actually, are you saying you need to teach them the processes to learn how to share? Well, I think the processes, but you also as a parent have to be cognizant, aware of which of my children are alpha children that need to not always be given their way yes. and which are more submissive children who are willing to give up their way to somebody else. And you have to, this is what I talk about in my book, Living on Automatic, you have to make some changes after you've already conditioned your child early in life, you have to make some changes in them to balance them the other direction to make sure they grow up to be well-balanced adults, that which is sense. something we don't readily do. Yes. So one of the things you've therefore talked about for me is that there's a vital skill we need to teach our children, which is about negotiation, because you talked about that in the learning to schedule section, but you're also talking about that here and that, that skill of, you know, um, what's in it for you, what's in it for me, you know, sharing needs, understanding, you know, must-haves, do, you know, and all that sort of stuff. That's all part of that. And of course, some adults find teaching children negotiation skills tricky because they don't necessarily know them or do them well themselves. Right. It's, uh, but it's a skill. I mean, I think it's a skill in taking a submissive child and, teaching them how to stick up for themselves yeah. so that the alpha person doesn't always get their way that yeah. sometimes they get their way, even yes. though they're quiet and more submissive. Yes. So it's a skill set or a mindset. Yeah. Makes sense. And so and that's, then, that's six. So the, the magic number seven, the last one is uh, I think you can help your children learn about how to be emotionally healthy. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to do this during quarantine is to set up a once or twice a week family discussion times. Uh, parents should set this up. Everybody should be invited. And you need to go around and listen to each family member politely without interrupting. Talk about their fears and anxieties and their hopes. What's gone well this week? What's right. not gone well this week for you? 
And this helps children discover not only the intimacy of talking and listening to different viewpoints and people, but it can also um, help parents forge reasonable outlooks in their children. Like if they have a, a six-year-old that says, you know, this is never going to end and I'm going to just die with coronavirus quarantine and it's never going to go away. Parents can help correct that yes. misinformed outlook. Yes. And if you have a 17-year-old that says, you know, my graduation's coming up and I think we're going to have it and it's looking good and the parent knows it's not going to happen, you yeah. can say to the 17-year-old, I really don't think this is going to happen. And as an alternative, why don't we start planning how you can have a graduation ceremony here at home? Yes. You know, how we can celebrate this. So you're sort of teaching reviewing and reflection there. Which is a very good, which is a very good thing, isn't it? You're not just venting the group. You're actually ingraining in people this idea of how you learn to self-reflect. Right. And how you learn to be intimate through talking yes. and, listening and listening to other people's yeah. points of view. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very so interesting. these um, these skills and mindsets will be helpful as they move on to life when they're older as students and um, cohabiting in an apartment or a flat together. And when they've married, because they'll say, I've seen this movie before. I remember when I was little and we were in lockdown and all these things I learned stand me in good stead now. Yes. So I know how to deal with it. So you built some resilience yes. into your kids. And, and of course that's going to help with relationships and it's going to help with understanding how you deal with emotions as life progresses. And I think, yeah, and I think, and I th- and it I think you, you, you talk about this in your new book, don't you? So, so tell me a little bit about this, if you would, please. Well, the book is about, um, it's by two psychiatrists, and we talk about our 80 years of experience doing long-term psychotherapy with people of all age, all ages, and there were several thousand people that we worked with over 80 years that we got to know in depth. And we realized that People are not raised in a reasonable, balanced way. They're raised in two very skewed personality patterns. So we talk about those in the book, and we talk about how the skews in personalities means that when you enter into relationships, you're entering into relationships in a skewed way with skewed people. And so you're going to have problems, especially cropping up in midlife, you know, divorces and affairs and conflict with your children and conflict with your in-laws and things like that. So the book is about that and how to find a way out of the mire of relationship conflict, what you have to do differently from how you raise your kids to how you negotiate relationships and how you understand yourself and other people. Right. And and who's this book for? I mean, it's, um, you know, a lot of these books are often accused of being sort of, um, Books for Women. And I noticed one of the quotes on Amazon in one of your reviews that says, this is not a book, just a book for women. Men right. can read this too. <laughs> so who are you thinking about when you wrote this book? Well, what we're thinking about is all the people who either don't have good access to good therapy or who've had bad therapy 
or who don't have any access and who want to learn more about themselves and their relationships. So it's written for general readers. It's not for psychiatrists. It's not for professionals, although many professionals have read it and found it helpful. It's a new way of looking at people based on sort of Pavlovian conditioning early in life. We call it emotional conditioning. And the type of therapy we used, we call deconditioning psychotherapy. Right. And, and, so what, and what sort of definition of personality do you use? Because there's many of, sorry, I'm doing that sort of uh, practitioner thing of getting too interested in it. I'll, I'll read, I'll tell you what, I'll read the book. That would be quicker, wouldn't it? Because uh... <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it sounds like exactly the sort of book I read a lot of and, uh, and I'm very excited about it. And, you know, it's very okay. rare to see, you know, how snarky Amazon readers are. I mean, all of your stars, are, you know, all of your reviews are five stars. I mean, you know, either that's cost you a serious amount of money or this is one <laughs> heck of a good book. No, they're, on, they're honest reviews by people that I don't know. <laughs> yes, that's very good. So um, now you mentioned earlier that you had some free resources that people could avail themselves of as well. I do on my website, drchristineadams.com, where doctor is D-O-C-T-O-R. I do have two free reports. One is about children. One is for adults uh, that you can download if you sign up and give me your email. And I'll also enter you for uh, the newsletter that I send out. And on the website, I've got hundreds of blogs that I've posted and there'll be links to my Psychology Today blogs. I'm a blogger with them. And um, there are also links to how to buy the book. It's available on Amazon.uk, Amazon in the US, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target, um, and from the publisher, Prager, P-R-A-E-G-E-R. And um, then I'm going to be starting up book club discussion groups for people that want to have book clubs and um, invite me to discuss the book with them, small yeah. groups of people. Yeah. So all that's on the website and um, as well as lots of podcasts, radio interviews, articles, things like that. Fantastic. So the uh, website is drchristineadams.com, spelled out. Uh, and the book's available on amazon.co.uk as well as amazon.com. And it's called Living on Automatic. Um, uh, how Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships. You've been listening to Dr. Christian Anderson. Anderson. Call you Anderson twice in one sentence. Chris, uh, Christian, I do apologize. You've been listening to Dr. Christian Adams talking resilience and children today with all sorts of interesting tips and guidance for helping children learn something from quarantine. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. I have too. Super. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And um, I hope to see you again soon. All right. Thank you you very much. You take care. Bye. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. 
And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.